0: The Law Report with Karen Key.
1: And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Before we begin, just a reminder that if you need any information regarding the Law Report, you can find it on Facebook, on Law on SAFM. But if you'd still like to contact me directly, you can email me on Law at safm.co.za well i must have confused you if you were listening just before the news started saying it was the first monday of the month but i'm so used to michael Bagram being here on the first monday of the month that i got myself confused because michael is with us twice this month how lucky are we and michael Bagram is a practicing managing partner at Bagram's attorney's labor law specialist michael good evening welcome back to the show for the second time this month thank you very much
0: Hi, thank you. My wife says that when you have me the second time, it's to apologize. But (laughs) I I am here and I'm I'm ready to answer the questions and thank you.
1: Well, we've been inundated with email questions, so tonight we'll take the first half of the show to deal with some of those questions and then we'll take your calls for the second half of the show. And uh, because Michael agreed to join us again this evening in the middle of the month, it's only two weeks before he's back again on Monday the 3rd of June. So we'll deal with the rest of the emails then and take more of your calls. And if you missed hearing about the disciplinary hearing template last month or the document on collaborative law that I spoke about with attorney Mandy Schultz. you can drop me an email to law at safm.co.za and I'll send one or both of those to you. So we're going to get on with the emails first and you can call us in the meantime though on 0892 10 2010 0892 10 2010. Just leave your name and contact details with my producer and we'll call you back once we're done with the mails.
2: Yum, 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 yum. Corruption eats away at your piece of the cake. Yum, 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 one slice at a time. Let's report corruption. SMS the word bribe and your tip off to 45142 or visit corruptionwatch.org.za and use our online reporting tool. SMS
0: costs one rand. This message
2: is brought to you by Corruption
0: Watch. The National Arts Festival in Grahamstown runs from the 27th of June to the 7th of July. The biggest festival on the continent has 3,000 performances, including the best theatre, hottest jazz, awesome dance, great music, lectures, comedy, film, performance art, exhibitions and much more. It's the place to be this winter. Book now at CompuTicket. Visit us online at www.nationalartsfestival.co.za The National Arts Festival, 11 Days of Amazing, in partnership with SAFM. South Africa's news and information leader. SAFM today is mourning the loss of a consummate broadcaster, colleague and friend, Vuyo Mbuli. His intimate relationship with the listener stood him apart from others. His sharp, sharp and I'm nice will be sorely missed. May his soul rest in peace. The Law Report with Karen Key.
1: Well, you're tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is Michael Bagram, an attorney in Cape Town, practising as Begram's attorneys, labour law specialists, and we're talking labour law. If you have any questions, you can call us on 0892 10 2010, 0892 10 2010. But we're beginning this evening with some of your questions that you've sent through via email. And the first one is from Chadiso wants to know if there is a checklist, Michael, of how to appeal a dismissal
0: thank you often people ask us is there some sort of template or a way of appealing dismissal obviously there can't be because the facts of each case differ greatly what you need to do is you need to divide up in your mind what happened at the disciplinary hearing you first look at the procedure in other words how did the company handle the hearing did they do it fairly did they allow you an opportunity to bring your witnesses? Did you? they allow you to get whatever paperwork beforehand so you could at least you prepare yourself? Did they allow you to bring your own witnesses and lead your witnesses on the evidence? That sort of thing. That's procedural, and often companies make errors or deliberately make errors. You also then need to have a look at the um, not only the process and the procedure, but the actual merits. In other words, what have you been accused of? And then analyze that and see what, in fact, accusations there were and whether the company could bring any evidence to prove what you had actually done. Uh, And then you analyze that in your own mind and you take each fact that was found to be a fact by the disciplinary chairperson and you show that there was no evidence to prove it as a fact. And that's how you appeal, you look at the process and you, you call it procedural errors, and then you look at the merits and you call it merits, the, er, the errors on the merits. And once you've done all that, you then ask the appeal chairperson and you put it down on paper to overturn what that disciplinary chairperson had recommended because of the myriad of errors that were made both in the procedure and the merits of the case. Um, I, what I implore people to do is to actually bring me the findings of the disciplinary hearing and also to bring me the notice to appear at the disciplinary hearing and then we work through it piecemeal. If you can, it would be fantastic if you can get the, the, um, the transcript of what actually was said and was found at the actual disciplinary hearing. Many companies um, pr- record these things. And you ask them beforehand to give you a transcript of it so that we can then take a highlighter and say, right, Here's an allegation, here's the evidence, there's no connection between the allegation and the evidence which was given, so therefore it's appealable. You have to do it in quite a scientific way. So there isn't a template for that sort of thing, because it's entirely dependent on what was said at your disciplinary hearing.
1: Right, well, on to the next one. Somebody in Johannesburg says, I was unfairly dismissed from work in May last year. The reason I say I was unfairly dismissed is that I was accused of warehouse robbery that took place in March last year at the warehouse where I was working. I was taken for questioning several times until I was told that they found me guilty of robbing my workplace. The same day I was dismissed. I phoned my shop steward notifying him of my dismissal from work and he said to me that I mustn't apply for an appeal because the union will take care of this. I waited until I noticed that it was more than enough of me waiting for the union to contact me and tell me what's happening. I phoned him again, only to hear that the seven days of appealing was over. What I did was go to the CCMA to open the case of unfair dismissal against the company. The CCMA attended the case with me only once, then they sent me the ruling letter telling me that they cannot attend the case anymore. The only thing I have to do is to go to to Sakawu and tell them to continue with the case. I went to Sakawi's offices and they are not willing to help me. They are telling me to go to Tokiso and when I ask them what is Tokiso, they don't come they don't tell me what it is. They don't clearly tell me. The only thing they tell me is that Takiso is the one who, that has to solve the matter for me, while in the meantime they don't want to tell me where I can find the Takiso offices, but they keep telling me about it. So I'm writing this email to you to ask you to help me with this because I've never done this. All I want is to prove that I had no connection to the robbery. I want to prove to the company that I worked for almost six years that what they're accusing me of is not true. I was not the only person fired. It was three of us being unfairly dismissed for what we never did.
0: Thank you. It Uh, sounds awful. It does sound... First of all, I I must um, have a gratuitous attack uh, on the trade union because it looks like they have been... uh, I think they've been reckless in how they've handled this case for one of their members. I mean, this is a year ago that this took place. It happened in May. He was dismissed, and we know in May 2013. Uh, so I may be so bold as to say that they've been reckless, which is not good. Um, his claim appears to be against the union now for being so reckless and not actually handling his case, and hopefully he's kept some of his correspondence with them. And hopefully he can then use that to have a a case against the union. Tekiso is an organization, um, and a a well-reputed organization, mind you, that um, handles cases in the sense that they oversee them. They come in as mediators and arbitrators. They're not people that take up a case on behalf of an employee. That's not correct. What this does sound like is that the individual did go to the CCMA and in the employment contract it said that they have outsourced the uh, dispute mechanism um, as an alternative dispute uh, regulatory body through TKESA. So the company should have actually informed and they probably did inform the union that you can't send this to the CCMA which is the Commission for Conciliation mediation and arbitration, and that it has to actually been, be referred to the alternative dispute regulatory authority, which is TAKESA, and in fact, if you look in the contract of employment, I haven't seen it in this particular case, but often people outsource this function to TAKESA because they want to do it quickly and, and hopefully more efficiently than the CCMA does it. So is it up to the listener to actually contact Takiso? Well, no, it should have been up to the company, but in fact the union should have referred it to Takiso in the first instance. Well, they're telling him that he must go there. Yeah, but they should have referred it there if once and if they had read the employment contract. They probably didn't. They probably were reckless enough just to refer it to the CCMA, not read the employment contract, and then be told that the CCMA, listen, we don't have the option. He, went to the, he was desperate because the, okay. the union just never got back to him. Okay, well, then they've, they're wrong. Um, they should have actually guided him and they should have shown him what to do. What can he do now? Is it too late? Well, I think it's too late, and that's why I'm saying that his claim is probably against the union. Um, I, I'm not going to say it 100%. All I'm saying mm. is, from what I understand from his question... We're now a year down the line. The CCMA or Takisa are probably saying that you should have referred it to us within 30 days. He hasn't done so. I'm not sure what the contract says. The contract might say you must refer a dispute to Takisa within 60 days or 30 days. Um, no one's going to be that bold to say that you should have it now, a year later. Um, hopefully the contract is silent on it, and then he can still do that. Um, Takisa can be looked up in any of the phone books and can can be contacted via their telephone number. So mean, it wouldn't actually
1: hurt him to contact them now no, Just just I tell them what's
0: would, going on. Yeah, I would certainly try uh, and see what's going on and then let Take possibly help him over there. My suggestion, however, is that he does go up to the advice office at his nearest CCMA and ask them to see if they can guide him. They know all the Takeisso organizers, they know the phone numbers at least they can look at the contract, tell him if he's got a chance, and tell him where it's gone wrong. Um, because it doesn't look like the union's interested at all.
1: No, it just sounds like he was almost popped off, you know. Yeah, and correct. Terrible. So, if you listen, if you uh, heard all of that, your, your best bet is to go to the information office at the CCMA and just take your contract with you, and hopefully they can point you in the right direction.
0: Correct. That's about the best he can do.
1: Right. Our next question is... Um, The listener says, I must submit a motion to the Labour Court. It's about a claim regarding a sexual harassment case in the workplace. How do I go about it?
0: Okay, that's also a simple case in the sense that you need to put down all the factors that happened. In other words, all the evidence that you have, put it down on a piece of paper. And my suggestion often to people is, in cases of this nature, if you can get hold of an attorney, if you do have some money, it's probably worthwhile. If you don't have, you can try and get um, some labor advice from the registrar's office at any one of the labor courts. They have special forms, they have formats that you fill in to refer matters to the courts. Often the courts also have um, cases that are done on a a pro-amico basis. In other words, a lot of the attorneys in the various cities have said that they're prepared to help out people who come to the court who are indigent and don't have money. This is, these are complicated in the sense that they are discriminatory or sexual harassment or whatever. Those are not easy cases um, to actually argue. If you're there alone, a judge will assist you, but they normally they recommend, the judges recommend, that you get hold of one of the people who have recommended by the court to help. So Some attorneys stand in. Um, I know that we've had cases referred to my law firm um, on the basis that the person can't afford an attorney and can you help them out? We then assess with the merits of the case. Look at it. Have a look whether it's in time. And then if it's a case that has merit, we then take it on behalf. On a pro-amica, it's a pro-deo basis as well, um, which doesn't cost them anything. But my suggestion now with this person is get straight to the registrar at the labor court, your nearest labor court, and they have labor courts in most big cities, um, and get there, speak to the registrar, sit down, get a um, a person to help you. They'll give you the forms and you fill them in, and they and they will tell you what has to happen, what what can be done, and whether they can access some legal help for you.
1: Right, just a reminder. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is the Law Report. My guest tonight is Michael Bagram, an attorney in Cape Town, practicing as Bagram's Attorneys, Labour Law Specialists, and we're talking labour law. Well, we're doing some email questions at the moment. We've got four left, so if you'd like to talk to Michael, you can call now on 0892102010. 0892102010. Just leave your name and contact details with my producer, and we'll call you back as soon as we've done with these last four email questions right michael the next one is says i'm asking for your assistance regarding clarity on labor laws concerning a company in final liquidation the company i'm working for is in final liquidation and we're confused on issues with regard to increases the company is a hotel and is doing extremely well with an average occupancy of 80 percent for the past two years the problem was the owner who had debts from and he named some banks, I'm not going to mention the banks, but there were a number of banks, and just wants to know what their situation is here, the company's in liquidation, and I'm not quite sure what they they're confused about issues with regard to increases.
0: Okay, um, the problem that he's got over here is that the insolvency laws trump the labour laws in situations of this nature. So the increases he can forget about. Once you're in final liquidation, um, the company has been killed, it um, no longer exists, and probably someone's in the process of either purchasing it or going to be uh, stop working altogether. Um, so clearly the company wasn't doing well. Uh, even though there might have been an 80% occupancy rate, the owners or the uh, shareholders had obviously borrowed too much money and they couldn't service that debt and the hotel died. Its financial personality completely died. It doesn't exist so the only thing they have got is they've got to fill in forms with the liquidator to claim whatever monies they can get, and they do have a preferent claim against the liquidated company, but unfortunately in cases of this nature, um, the, the first claim goes to the banks who have probably got access to most of the property, it's probably been signed over to them, um, so I don't hold out much hope at all. And as f- with regard to increases, you can forget about it, it's you fighting a losing battle. Sorry,
1: listener, that uh, doesn't sound terribly <clears throat> hopeful, but uh, see what you can do. As you said, you need to apply to the liquidators. Right, our next question says, I'm a full employee of Transnet, of section manager. I got charges last year, November 2012. My case has been postponed six times already, and I have all the evidence in all charges, ranging from insubordination, fraud, and AWOL. Please assist with guidance in this regard. I'm not quite sure...
0: Okay, well, what, well, what, what is actually happening over here? And I presume it's not charges. I presume it's allegations at a disciplinary hearing. I also make another presum- presumption that the employee is suspended, not at work, but on full pay because he's entitled to full pay while they're busy investigating and thinking about whether they can charge him or not. Um, if it's at the criminal courts for the fraud, because you don't charge people, as that word is a criminal word. And also for fraud, you don't take someone to a disciplinary hearing. Um, that would be something vastly different. What I'm thinking over here that, in fact, this is a disciplinary hearing which is pending and that he is suspended on full pay. Why would they postpone a disciplinary hearing six times, Because though? they're trying desperately to find evidence and it doesn't look like they can find any oh, evidence. Okay. And unfortunately, this is often the story of parastatals, of governments... Um, of people who are not watching their bottom line, um, they suspect that an employee has been naughty or done something wrong, and then they postpone and postpone. It's just much easier than actually doing the work and finding the evidence and bringing the person to disciplinary area. But if, the meantime, they're, if
1: they're suspended with pay, it's
0: costing them money. Yes, I know, but you see, that this is the problem now. These peristatals don't care. Oh. And I, I have, I've seen hundreds of these cases where people get suspended for months on end, the taxpayers paying, and you and I, as members of the public and the, the the earners, the income earners who have to pay over income tax, unfortunately have to uphold the system where people just are suspended for years. Um, a few months back, a lady came to me. She was a school teacher, had been suspended. I think you told us that yes, for how and long? And a couple of years. For years. Mm. And eventually I told her, look, just resign because she really wanted to get on with her career despite the fact that she was earning a salary for four years. And was getting increases each year. That's ludicrous. Um, and somehow we just couldn't even, it was so difficult even to resign. I mean, <laughs> oh it, it was just an impossible <clears throat> set of circumstances. And it sounds like it's what's happening to this individual. Mm. There is no evidence. And so they just. So what do they do in this regard now? What does she do? Well, she, what she can do is keep on her salary forever or resign. You can, I suppose, raise a grievance. Everyone will think maybe you're a little bit mad. You're earning your salary anyway. What are you actually doing? But it does put an end to someone's career because mm. they're then sort of treading water at that point and not getting increases and not getting promotions and not actually getting done. I suppose you get very bored. I've had a, a person who was working also in one of the ministries in government, um, and she was put in an office and said, look, you've got to wait. We, we suspect you've done wrong, but you've got to wait until we've actually fully invested. They didn't suspend her, but they kept her in the office and gave her nothing to do. And she had been there for a year. So um, she said she had read novels every day. I mean, it's It's an impossible set of circumstances. It
1: messes with your head. I mean, sitting there doing nothing all day. It's debilitating. Mm, Absolutely.
0: uh, Often people just have to go with it because they can't find another job. So you just sit there. Mm. and In the meantime, you're earning your salary.
1: And we all have to work for our money, hey? Right. Let me carry on working for mine. Next question says, in my case, I was employed from August 2007 to July 2008 as an intern. In August 2008, the same year after my intern contract expired, I was then employed in the same institution as a casual in Human Resources up until 30th of September 2009, so that was another year. A year later, in September 2010, the same, still at the same institution, the listener was employed as a casual administration clerk up until the 9th of September 2011. My contract did not expire. I was forced to go on on maternity leave, for which I had no entitlement or privilege. And on the 3rd of October 2011, I returned back to my employment. That seemed to be a month after she went on maternity leave. Yeah, it
0: doesn't sound right. No,
1: I returned back to my employment and continued serving as a casual and was told that my contract will be renewed from the 19th of March 2012 to date. I would like advice because I am a married and mother of three children who support and educate my family. Um, the governing party promised always in their manifesto decent work. I truly need to know what legislative rights do I have in this frustrating situation in a government department.
0: Well, quite frankly, it sounds like she's a permanent employee and they're mm. just messing around with some paperwork. But the reality be known that she actually isn't a permanent employee. She is entitled to all the rights as a permanent employee. Her, her legislative rights are the Labor Relations Act, the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, everything that goes with it, UIF, and obviously they'll deduct in- income tax. So I don't think she's got a problem on, in the sense of the legislation. The problem is that some clerk is messing her head by not giving her the proper paperwork. Uh, I, I would suggest at this point she raises a grievance and gets it sorted out. However, that being said, we are expecting some legislative changes, um, I think, in the second half of this year, probably around about September. And there, you'll see that anyone who has been working um, of, in the circumstances that she says, they automatically become permanent anyway. So maybe it's worth a while to work, do whatever is necessary, earn her salary, and wait for these new changes to come through, because the changes are going to affect government, just like it's going to affect the the company and uh, the private companies. The so, thing,
1: the thing about this, though, Michael, are the companies going to tell the employees that they're now permanent employees, or are the employees going to have to mention, oh, by the way, I'm now a permanent employee? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh,
0: <laughs> you know, are
1: they going to bother to tell you that? Yeah.
0: Well, most most of these cases, the people are permanent anyway, as we stand, because, mm. they, I mean, I I had a group of employees who came to see me who had been on three month contracts, but they've been on three month contract for twenty years, and every three months they sign another contract and off they go. Um, This is just exploitation, quite frankly, because they know that they don't need them on three month contracts. And if they went to the CCMA or to the labor court, they'd immediately pronounce. But these are permanent employees. This is all nonsense. This rolling over the contract. There's no reason as to why they would redo that all the time. Um, So the reality of the situation is uh, it doesn't matter what the contract calls you. Um, Just because you are in a contract, you agree that you are a Martian doesn't actually make you a Martian.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll remember that. Right. Last question for this evening on the email says um, from Headley says, please ask Michael about adverts from Chinese companies in the Star newspaper whose conditions of employment are are that applicants must speak and read in Chinese and then he wants to know surely this is against the equal opportunity I would imagine equal employment and the LRA he just wants to know this for interest sake he says
0: well if there's a good reason as to why people would have to read Chinese then that might be the nature and exigency of the job Um, let me give you another example to, to answer this you know it's always good to answer a question with a question but um, if you were a helicopter company and you wanted helicopter pilots, I suppose it would be very important for you to advertise that you want people who can fly helicopters because you don't want someone coming in there saying, I want to be a helicopter pilot. This is a great idea. I want to be the pilot. You then employ them, and then they, you show them all the, the little buttons and dials in the front cockpit of the helicopter, and they say, far out. This looks really good. Let's give it a bash. I played this on a computer game. Yeah, yeah I'm sure, yeah, I, can I'm sure I can do it. Yeah, I'm mm. sure I can do it. So... Um, I don't know why people would advertise that they want Chinese-speaking people, but I have a client in my labor practice, my labor law practice here in Cape Town, um, who are doing um, work to service people in both France and Germany. Now, there's an absolute prerequisite that the people that are going to be handling the telephone calls can speak French and German, because people are going to be phoning in and speaking in French and German. Now, it doesn't help to advertise and say, look, we've got jobs for people um, who um, as soon as you can answer the phone, that's great. You can have the job because they can answer the phone. And they won't know what the customers are saying. So they advertise that they want fluent French and German speaking people. And one can not—you do not a, you don't have to be a genius to understand why they want them. So this not it's not discriminatory by any stretch of the imagination this is a prerequisite to do the actual so if it's relevant to the work then that's it so this chinese speaking person might in fact be running a a call center where chinese people phone in i don't think i can't imagine that that would be the case because i don't know any call centers that are run here to service the chinese market but i know that the european market is strongly serviced especially here in cape town by call centers so there's a big um, call for people who can speak dutch german french italian you name it any one of the european languages because it's much cheaper to outsource the the function of phone so if you have breakfast in the morning and your uh, muesli doesn't taste so nice you look at the box and you phone this call center number and what happens lo and behold you get through to cape town and you're speaking to a german person here in cape town who tells you that uh, they take your details and they say you're going to get a new box of them because yours sounds like it's got weevils um, and we're going to give it to you but then they're speaking in german to that person because uh. it's a german phone so that's probably the case probably if yes. they're just trying to be discriminatory and they're wanting someone to um uh, i don't know work in a factory um maybe only the maybe the management are only chinese speaking so they can't give you instructions. Uh, if you come here and you don't you can't speak chinese that that'll really make a tower of babel type of situation where one person is speaking in one language another one the other language and no one knows what to do so nothing happens
1: Okay, so if it's relevant to the work, then it shouldn't be too much of a problem. Just a reminder, you tune to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is the Law Report. My guest tonight is Michael Bagram. He's an attorney in Cape Town, practicing as Bagram's Attorneys, Labour Law Specialists, and we're talking labour law. If you'd like to call us, the number is 0892 10 2010, 0892 10 2010. David in Johannesburg. Good evening. Hello, David. Hello, David. Are you with us?
3: Yes, I oh, can hear you. There you, you are. Hello, David. Now.
1: Yes, we can hear you now. Hello.
3: All right. How thank can, you, Karen. Ha- How are you this ha- evening? Very
1: well, thank you. How are you? Well, thank you. How can we help
3: you? Uh, Michael, let me ask you. I have a, a matter that I'm concerned about. It's regarding a um, former diplomat uh, from a neighboring country who received an exitor from uh, former President Becky. To work uh, in a diplomatic status here. Now, subsequently, in 2004, uh, this uh, person was um, accused by um, employees within her office of some sort of fraud. It did go through to a commercial crimes court where the matter was withdrawn after about a year and a half, and currently there was a um, labor law matter in the neighboring country, but the case, uh, there was an amount that was uh, issued to her, it was quite minimal in comparison to her twenty years of service. Uh, the status quo at the moment is that um, since two thousand and seven, uh, the government has not um, uh, 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 followed up any uh, matters as far as removing that exitor. Uh, from her diplomatic status, and the labor matter was subsequently then um, also not uh, not not completed. Um, it's still outstanding, an outstanding matter. Uh, there, there was an, even an interesting twist where the advocate that we had hired to assist us was actually hired by that government to become a judge. He therefore
0: subsequently dropped our case. Michael, it's a bit of a complicated one because you're saying the matter was actually heard in the neighbouring country. Am I correct in that? That's correct. So in fact, that neighbouring country has the jurisdiction and not South Africa. So you can't you can't choose. You can't go jurisdiction shopping. Once you've found a jurisdiction in a particular country in a particular court, you have to stick with that. So, yes, it's not going to help to pursue anything in South Africa because that's the jurisdiction that you chose or was chosen for you. So you're going to have to pursue the rights that you might have in that neighboring country. It also sounds like, in fact, they've made a jurisdictional ruling and they've given you a judgment in that in that neighboring country. So if, unless you're unhappy with it, you can appeal it there, but you can't come here to appeal it. And you can't pursue rights in two countries to see which suits you better. So unfortunately, you're going to have to pursue it in that particular jurisdiction. You're going to find in this courts in South Africa, they're going to say, no, we're not seized with it. someone else's. And they will not interfere with someone else's jurisdiction in our South African courts. We've also got another problem in that when people are in diplomatic posts, Mm -hmm. they don't fall under our jurisdiction at all. Um, and, in fact, most people working in embassies here in South Africa don't have rights to approach our labor courts.
3: Okay. So the matter, even if it, uh, as I mentioned about the procedure within South Africa where she was uh, given diplomatic immunity, that's not being withdrawn. It's still outstanding. Therefore, she's not able to be employed until that uh, uh, that legal Documentation from the presidency is withdrawn. How does that work uh, as far as um, her rights or trying to clear that matter up within South Africa?
0: It's got to so be done. It's got to be done back home. They, they have to. They have to clear a name and say, right, we're going to now make diplomatic um, approaches to South Africa to change it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work through our courts over here. She has immunity in South Africa, which also means that she can't pursue rights against that particular country here in our courts mm-hmm.
1: um, okay david i'm sorry we couldn't help you any further you, but thank you for the call thank you good night to you off to kzn Angela. good evening
4: yes hi hello hello how can we help you um i just want to find out my husband and i have a small business and we employed this one guy on um, actually on a three-month contract to start off with in the 3 months contract, um, unfortunately, I didn't make out the contract. And that contract has now gone into seven, eight months. But um, about three weeks after we took that guy on, um, we took another guy on. But now the first one, um, we actually want to retrench him. Because, I mean, the three months have gone into eight months. Now, when I said to him, we're going to retrench you now, so he just said, oh, he's, only, he's the only one that's going to be retrenched. So we have a bit of a problem. I don't know, can we, um, he actually is not um, medically fit enough, um, I'm to say to, uh, you know, that we want to employ him. Um, can we um, uh, retrench only him or do we have to retrench other guys as well? Or, or the other workers as well?
0: Michael? Thank you. Um, you. We can't confuse a couple of issues and I think we've crossed the, the line on, on a few issues. First of all, retrenchment is dismissal for operational requirements in other words it's a dismissal that takes place because you can't afford or don't need that particular person Mm -hmm. there are a whole lot of rights and and wrongs that go together with that first and foremost Mm -hmm. it's got nothing to do with his ability Mm -hmm. and with his health at all if Mm -hmm. you're choosing that route And it sounds like you want to terminate his employment not for retrenchment purposes, but because he's not healthy and you don't think he can cope with the job. That's really what what your thought processes are. Or he's probably not as good as the person that you employed subsequent to him. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one problem. The second problem is a procedural one. Because when you normally retrench, which is dismissed for operational requirements, Mm -hmm. you take the last one in who will be the first one out. Mm -hmm. So it would be not him, but the one who was employed subsequently would probably fall foul of the retrenchment and that would be the person that you would dismiss. In other words, you're saying, I only need one, but I've got two. Mm -hmm. Because you can't replace someone that you've retrenched, obviously. Mm -hmm. But then you'll get rid of the wrong person. So that doesn't help you either. So my answer to you is to have a look at his performance mm-hmm. have a look at his health get an assessment from your own doctor as to whether he can cope with the position or not if he can't due to ill health then ask someone to give you schedule eight to the labor relations act which is an important schedule and in fact maybe that's a, a thing that Corin key can do is to send that schedule to people who need it uh, we'll we what we'll do is we'll email it from my office to safm and then we'll be distributed at schedule eight It consists of four pages and it's actually very easy reading and it tells you how to dismiss Mm -hmm. uh, people who can't cope because of ill health. Um, And it also shows you how to dismiss if you don't have disciplinary codes at work. So it's a very important schedule and I think anyone in employment, anyone who is running a small business actually needs to read that Schedule 8 because that's what it sounds like the situation is over here. However... If it's really not because of his ill health, but because he's not coping at work and he's not pulling his weight and he's not working properly, that's a different section altogether. That's where you've got to start warning him and you've got to performance manage uh, this person and say, you're not performing properly. I'm giving you a warning. This is what you need to do each day. You're not doing it. Look at your colleague, he's doing it much better than you. If you don't reach these targets, we're going to give you warnings and then we're going to have a hearing and we'll performance manage you out of the job. So you you need to carefully in your own mind make the decision as to why you don't think this person is good for the job. And once you've found that path to travel down that path. So my suggestion to you is that um, you leave with the, with the, with the uh, station, you leave your email address and then we can then obviously send the Schedule 8 to you.
1: Angela, if you drop me a mail to law at safm.co.za, and that goes for anyone else who's listening, if you'd like a copy of the Schedule 8, which is how to dismiss an employee for ill health, drop me a mail to law at safm.co.za, and I will pop one by return mail tomorrow once I have it from Michael. Okay, lovely. But
4: um, also, I don't know if uh, and talk. um, and I can still talk. We are actually also a little bit, um, yeah, sorry, all these things. And a little bit in the financial situation, also that my husband said I can't actually keep, um, you know, all these guys. Um, um, that's why we also actually wanted to retrench him. Okay,
0: but well that's true retrenchment. But then you would you would retrench first the person who came in last. Uh, that's what that's last called in, lifo, Last in, in first, first out. Uh, so, okay, so you would then. Yes, your husband's right. That is retrenchment. If you got if you're financially embarrassed and you can't afford to keep someone then yes, you need to react like this, and our law assists you in it and says that you're not forced to keep someone in employment if you can't afford them. Mm -hmm. But then you must follow what is the norm, and that's last in first out, unless they agree, unless you bring both employees together, if you've got both of them, and you put them together in a room and you sit down and you say, this is our problem, these are our financial circumstances, have a look at it, we can only afford one of you, maybe one will volunteer to go.
4: Oh, no, as I said, we just thought because of the
1: first one, and he's the one that's actually medically, and you know, he's, he can't do all the, the work that the, the other one can. Well, I think this schedule eight
4: might help you, Angela. Correct. Right. Drop,
1: right. Me, drop me an email and I'll send it off to you tomorrow.
4: Lovely,
1: lovely. Thank you so much. Only a pleasure. Thanks for getting Thank through. Good night to you. you. Right, off to Bloemfontein. Florence, good evening.
2: Hi, Evelyn. Hello,
1: Hi. how can we help you, Florence?
2: Oh, yes. Um, uh. On the 13th or on the 18th of March, I I, I was an inquiring, um, and then we I lost my job. Well,
1: There's a disciplinary hearing, um, Florence. Yeah, it was
2: a disciplinary hearing. Okay. And I felt that uh, it was unfair dismissal, and I went to CCME, and um, there was a date I cannot remember. That I went for con Right. Yes. Um but they only they they only they I went for con ab but uh, the day of the con there was only a conciliation and then the arbitration they they said I must apply again for the arbitration.
0: Right.
2: So my problem is that I need a legal advice.
0: I don't have money to pay a Chinese instance. Okay. Mm. Okay, let me let me explain to you what's the best thing to do. That they're quite right. After you've done conciliation and it wasn't settled, you get a certificate. You got a certificate, is that correct? Yes, they gave yes, you a piece yes, of paper. That's
2: correct. And
0: that's the certificate correct. said that you hadn't settled the matter. It was still outstanding yes. and it hadn't settled. You yes. then have to fill in another piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the company mm-hmm. had objected to the CONOB. And mm-hmm. so, therefore, you are only doing conciliation on that day. The yes. next step is for you to complete a form. It's called LRA 7.13. Yeah. Yes, yeah, the, the, the,
2: the application was completed, and I'm going for the conciliation on the 31st of this
0: month. Okay, not the conciliation, the arbitration. Is it uh, yes, uh, is arbitration? Is yes, arbitration. <laughs> it's arbitration. Because you already had the conciliation, yeah. now you, filled, yeah, you yeah. filled in the second form, which is the 713 form, and then Mm -hmm. they set it down for arbitration. At arbitration, Mm -hmm. under certain circumstances, you're entitled to bring an attorney with you or a lawyer, an advocate or an attorney to come with you only in certain circumstances. If, in fact, you were dismissed for disciplinary reasons, in other Mm -hmm. words, you had a disciplinary hearing and they dismissed you after the disciplinary hearing. That's what she said happened, yes. Then you can't take an attorney with you But you can go and get advice beforehand as to how to run your case, what is needed. In other words, what papers you need there, what proof you need, what witnesses you need, how to prepare it, how to prepare a bundle of papers that you can share with the arbitrator and the other side. And it actually can get a little bit complicated to run an arbitration. My suggestion is that if you can afford an attorney, obviously go to an attorney. If you can't afford an attorney then go to the CCMA tomorrow and tell them that you've got this arbitration, this is when it's coming up, you want to speak to an advisor and ask them, you tell them all the circumstances of the case, sit down with an advisor Mm -hmm. and ask them to give you some guidance as to how to prepare yourself Mm
2: -hmm. for that
0: arbitration, because they'll explain to you what is needed, what you Mm -hmm. should bring along, what witnesses should come. You'll tell them what you did and didn't do, and they'll tell you how you can come and bring evidence to show how it works. So my suggestion is don't leave it for the day. rather do it now because we've only got a week to go before your your arbitration. So it's very important that you prepare yourself tomorrow. I would go down there tomorrow, and then they can maybe send you off to other people or they might be able to send you to an attorney who is a friend of the CCMA who will then help you.
1: Okay, thank you very much. Okay, Florence, good luck to you. Thanks for getting through. Good night. Daniel in Strunfontein, good evening.
5: Good evening uh, to you and your guests. Hi, how can we help? I just had a question with regards to the uh, Workman's Compensation Act. I was injured um, whilst on duty as a direct result of performing my duty. Um, And then I went to a private hospital with a trauma unit, and they booked me off, uh, injured my knee. They booked me off, and there was only one orthopedic surgeon that did um, the workman's compensation claims. I had an appointment a month later with him. He's English for scans, etc Eventually, long story short, is, and my knee was operated on. This is, like I said, this is since January. My knee was operated on mid-January, February, and I was booked off for a month late after the operation. So we're looking at about two months that I was off. When I returned to work, I was return on light duty, and my h r slash yeah h r person had actually deducted from my sick leave my you know my three year entitlement of thirty six days he'd actually deducted two weeks of that right I was just like to know is that legal can you can you take because I was injured as while I was on duty. Yeah, Can, uh, and then also with regards to look, I've, been, I've gone to a private hospital, I've had my knee, but now the problem is I'm going to have a long term injury in this knee now. It's never going to be the same. Where does that leave me now? Can I claim from anybody or how does it work?
0: Yeah, well, unfortunately, this is a, a terrible area of the law. Workman's no. compensation is not that functional in South Africa, and my answer to you is. The companies are indemnified unless you can show gross negligence. In other words, they did something which was so bad it was almost deliberate, which is probably mm-hmm. not the case. Um, no. they, you, they are indemnified by workmen's compensation, so you can't claim against them under most circumstances. Ninety-nine yeah. percent of the circumstances, you can't claim against the company. So you have to pursue the uh, commissioner, the workmen's compensation commissioner, and the and unfortunately they take years sometimes to pay this off they make sure that the company has completed all the forms and what you should do each day and i've i've had the same with one of my drivers of my work, uh, who work who got got hurt he sorry just
1: one second michael um daniel if you could turn your radio off we're getting quite a lot of feedback from your radio that seems yeah, to be on it's
5: my phone i think it's my phone I've got no radio oh on. it's your no. phone
0: sorry okay, okay. all it's, right it sorry. sounds a bit Carry like on, my michael. phone <laughs> okay. um, but the, the bottom line is I would try and pursue them daily, make a phone call. My driver, my uh, delivery driver at my work um, was delivering some court papers down to the labor court and he fell off his motorbike um, because someone had in the car behind him pumped his motorbike. We claimed from workman's compensation and it's taken us two years, and we attorneys, two years to try and get any money out of them uh, to help him. And he couldn't even afford to go to a private hospital, so you know, we, we had to loan him money to get to a private hospital. So it was a real problem. All I'm saying to you is don't give up, keep fighting, because eventually they do pay, and they do and they do pay you out. So, and what about and the, the leave that they took off? Is... Well, they shouldn't be doing that. The first six weeks that you should be getting off, I suppose two weeks they could take off because you were off for two months. Mm um so i suppose they can because it says the first six weeks they have to pay you but you'll get all that money back you should be getting all that money back the company should be getting their money back and you should be getting your leave back from the workman's compensation commissioner uh-huh. Okay.
5: Um, okay and so uh, what what procedure do i follow to play, follow up on the claim, or do i leave it up to my employer
0: no 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 and no and don't or? just make sure that they're doing the right thing most employers get a bit bored and stop doing it but you have to keep pursuing yeah. it first of all make sure that they have actually filled in the forms that's the first thing and get all copies of that and then you keep faxing just get get onto the back of that commissioner because yeah. somehow they think if they do nothing it'll go away um, yes. i don't want you to to allow that because if no, you
5: sure.
0: by you pursuing this you're helping the rest of south africa i
5: understand that if they answer their phone calls because i tell you so i tried to, the department of labor doesn't
0: answer their phone in cape town I, I, don't know. <laughs> I, know. I know unfortunately that's <laughs> notorious as well but i must in their defense i must tell you that the department of labor is under resourced the inspect the inspectorate aren't getting paid properly and certainly Uh. i strongly believe that they should have more employees there because they're inundated we are just about in parliament now to debate the um the budget for the department of labor and maybe what you could do is send in a letter to the department of Labour. Saying in your budget speech, please remember me. This is my name, and whenever I phone, that the phones aren't answered. You need more people employed there, and you need them better trained, and you need them better paid. Um, so you can help as a member of the public. Remember, yeah. we we're, we're in a democracy. Speak up. Yes, yeah. Thank, Dan- you very much, Thank you Good Thank good, good
1: luck to you, Daniel, and good luck Thank with your you. knee. Thanks for the call.
5: Oh, it's, it's very
1: sore now. <laughs> oh, so. shit, <laughs> especially with the cold weather. It probably gets worse when it gets cold. Oh,
5: definitely. I've got to the writers as well. Oh, my goodness. In okay, so, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. And I'm only
1: 35 years old. You're still oh, wow. young, young, young. Yeah, yeah well, good yeah. luck with that. Hopefully it'll get better. <laughs> Thank it. you. Thank Thanks, you. Daniel. Bye. Good night. Bye-bye. Joanne in Pretoria, good evening.
6: Evening. How are you? Very well. How are you? Um good thanks. I just have a question to ask. Um I work for one of the financial institutions and I was promoted um in February to a new post. I started off as a teller and I was promoted in February and it was announced to everyone in the branch. However, I only started working there about mid March and I didn't they didn't make me sign a contract or anything. But I'm very young, so for me it was a matter of getting the experience that I needed so that I can start building up a reputable CV. My issue is now that I've been told that I'm not going to get that data for my salary, and I'm, I still haven't signed a contract. And my, like, I'm really worried about now. I don't want to seem as if I'm greedy or anything, but my issue is I don't have a contract that I've signed. I don't know what I'm going to get rated on for my performance, and they're not going to backdate my package. Already I had to accept the package that I felt was unreasonable because they wanted to give me an entry-level package. And I felt that having worked for the company for two years and I have an NQS level 7, but they still want to pay me as if I'm a matriculant who has no experience. And I just wanted to know what rights do I have in terms of labor law to what what can I request from the company because I feel as if I'm being exploited because of my want to learn and my want to develop myself.
0: Okay, thank you for that. Um, the, the problem is yeah, you don't have a right per se to have a particular uh, level of, of pay and you don't have a right um, to have a particular uh, contract put into place. Your right is only for a written contract that you have a right for. Um, I would raise an internal grievance. If it is a financial institution, they have an HR department yes. or, an, or industrial relations department. And if you go into the intramail, into the company's intramail, their own documents, you'll see that there is a grievance procedure form. You fill in that procedural form and send it off to the HR department, the Human Resource Department, and outline to them that, first of all, you don't have a proper letter of appointment, a, a new contract in your new post, which you have to by law in terms of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, and also that you've had the 2 years experience and now they're wanting to reverse you back to a matriculant level and you'll probably find that that internal procedure will cure your problem it's not this is not an issue that you would go externally to the human to um, the ccma or to the banking bargaining council or whatever your institution falls so i think this has to be cured internally and it probably will be done okay <clears throat> Thank Thank you so
6: much for your
1: advice. It's an absolute pleasure.
0: Thanks, Joanne. Have a lovely
4: evening.
1: Thanks. Good luck to you. Good night. Right. So, Michael, um, just to go back to that Schedule 8 that you're going to send me. Yes. And uh, I'm going to be sending it out. And just a reminder to the listeners, the Schedule 8 is a document, and it's about four pages, you said and it explains how to dismiss an employee for ill health.
0: Correct. But you In said fact, it was
1: something else as well.
0: Yes, what, what I've just done is I've just taken it out now while we're sitting over here and talking, and this book that I've got, it's an appendix two. I'm going to leave you the book. I don't know if you've got a machine that can... Yes, I can copy it and now. And you can copy mm. it. And it's actually five pages, and let me just go through it with you because it's... A, We've it's got a min- about a minute. Okay, but it's it's a fantastic document. It's called Code of Good Practice Dismissal, and it outlines of any company that doesn't have... Disciplinary codes, this outlines how you would dismiss for various reasons. It tells you the fair reasons for the dismissal. It tells you disciplinary measures short of dismissal, dismissal for misconduct. And it comes to the point where it says um, guidelines for probation, which is very important. And then finally, what we were talking about is incapacity, ill health or injury. And it tells how and reasons why you would dismiss for incapacity, temporary or permanent and how you would actually do it so it's a particular it's a good document I'm going to leave it with you and we can send it to any listener that is interested in reading this it's very easy to read very easy to understand it's only five pages and worthwhile when you get home in the evening to actually just squeeze through it.
1: And just a reminder, the last time we were talking about things we were going to send you, Michael also told us about a disciplinary hearing template. That's for the employer, how to actually advise an employee of a disciplinary hearing. There is a template for that, so that's also up for grabs. It's a template for that. It's the Schedule 8. And also, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke with Attorney Mandy Schultz, and we spoke about collaborative law, a much more humane way if you are planning on getting divorced unfortunately this is a different way of going about doing that and if you're interested in in a document on collaborative law you can also let me know just drop me a line to law at safm Co.za. Well, my thanks once again this evening to Michael Begram. He's the practising managing partner at Begram's Attorneys, labour law specialist here in Cape Town, and he's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. And Michael will be back with us again on Monday, the third of June. Michael, once again, thank you very much indeed for joining us.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me, and I'll come on the third of June to apologise. <laughs> Thank you. If you
1: missed that in the beginning, Michael's wife said every time this every second time that he comes, the one first time was to appear on the show, second time to apologize. And I said that definitely isn't the case.